Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Eric Watkins on how God's grace met him on a Greyhound bus. So after a year of falling Grateful Dead, I decided to go back to North Carolina. And uh, my older sister in California at that time was sort of experimenting with Christianity and at a Greyhound bus station offered me her Bible, which I didn't really have an interest in, but I said, okay, you know, I knew I was gonna be trapped on a bus for a week. So she gave me her Bible and for the first three days, I sat on the back of the bus just playing guitar. And then eventually my fingers tapped out and I pulled the Bible out and thought, well, you know, why not? I'd never actually read it. Eric Watkins, next. He's a Christian and a pastor today, but at one time, Dr. Eric Watkins was a drug user and deadhead who followed the Grateful Dead rock group around the country. It's quite a story, and he tells it in his Christianity Today testimony piece, I was a disenchanted deadhead who found Christ on a Greyhound bus. He pastors Harvest Orthodox Presbyterian Church in San Marcos, California. Pastor Watkins, tell us a, a little bit about your upbringing. Were you raised in a Christian or a religious home? No, I was not. I am a military kid. My dad was a 26-year Marine, and we lived outside of and on a few different uh, Marine Corps bases in North Carolina. In fact, our family was on Camp Lejeune during the um, controversial period of the water crises. Uh, my mom actually had seven miscarriages in nine years right mm. before uh, she conceived me, and the only way in God's providence that she kept me is that they were transferred from North Carolina to St. Louis, where my dad was a recruiter in Ferguson. Um, my dad's black, my mom's white, and he was recruiting in black men, kind of Vietnam era. And in God's providence, I'm getting transferred from North Carolina to St. Louis is providentially how my mom was able to sustain me in utero. So military family and uh, neither of my parents were Christians when I was growing up. In fact, my dad was kind of a loudly outspoken atheist of sorts. And my mom probably had a nominal exposure to Christianity in some ways, but it was not a part of the fabric of their marriage when I was growing up. And just to back up, you mentioned something about a, a water crisis at Camp Lejeune. Uh, I'm not familiar with that. Maybe there's some that, that aren't either. So there was a period of time where there was apparently toxic water on the military base Camp Lejeune that affected a lot of people's health and only came out many years later that the water was like super, super bad for people and led to all kinds of medical problems. In my mom's case, seven miscarriages mm -hmm. in nine years before she got pregnant with me. And even that was a fragile pregnancy. But by God's grace, I came out and then I have a little brother that came after me. Mm -hmm. Well, and speaking of your dad, and he, and he figures kind of prominently early in your testimony and then kind of in the in the latter part, tell us about him and uh, his relationship with your family. Yeah, so when I was 12 years old, he pretty abruptly abandoned our family. Um, you know, back, back in the day, the military chaplain services and things like that um, were kind of a different animal. I think they're a lot better now than they were back then. But there were a lot of guys, particularly in the Vietnam, post-Vietnam era, who you know, they became such good soldiers. They struggled to come home and know their place at a table with a wife who had been doing it by themselves all the time that guys are deployed and then little kids that 
are loud and doesn't always make for an easy transition back for someone that got really good at being Marine while kind of forgetting how to be a dad. I say that generously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a story, story of a lot of men, a lot of families in the 70s in that time frame. I was born in January of 72. So when I was 12, my dad, uh, he took off and that led to some pretty dark and difficult reactions from my little brother and me. I was 12, he was 10. We became kind of your textbook latchkey kids in which we would come home from school. My mom's working 60, 70 hours a week as a single mom with two older teenage um, daughters. And then my brother and me, there's nine years in between us. And so my brother and I started doing drugs and drinking and all the stupid that latchkey kids would do um, a lot of time on their hands. When my parents were together, we lived in a pretty good, call it middle-class neighborhood. When my dad left, it had a significant financial effect on the family. And we ended up moving into a really low income, rough neighborhood Mm -hmm. where a lot of bad things were accessible. And so we just, you know, started perfecting, if I can say it this way, the art of sin at a pretty young age. So that um, by the time I graduated from high school, I had failed my senior year of high school and had to repeat it. I'd been doing and selling drugs for all those years, kind of starting at age 12 and exploring and getting worse from there. I was shot at twice and involved in gangs and just stupid fights in North Carolina and a lot of dumb stuff there. My mom actually couldn't take it anymore. And during my junior high school, she actually sent my brother and me to California to live with my older sister, whose husband was a big, strong guy. And she thought maybe that could help us out a little bit, but we just gotten even more trouble out there behind their backs. So by the time I graduated high school, you know, again, I think we had really perfected not just the art of sin, but in many ways, if, if you think of my dad as like a really strong, uh, you know, very masculine man that uh, had a strong presence in the house and a lot of authority. Well, when he left, you know, my brother and me kind of reacted to many of those things and became very strongly anti-authoritarian. So I had a real problem with authority through my teenage years and that sort of defiant flippant disposition came out, you know, in a lot of different ways and just led to a lot of heartache for my mom and a lot of trouble in school. Well, my guest today on His People is Pastor Eric Watkins. He pastors Harvest Orthodox Presbyterian Church in San Marcos, California. We're really finding about his testimony of how uh, he came to Christ, how he came to believe in Jesus as his Savior, and it's written about in Christianity Today. Uh, the title is God's Grace on a Greyhound Bus. We'll be getting to what that means in a little bit, but at some point, Pastor Watkins, you became what's commonly known as a deadhead, a follower of the Grateful Dead. Tell us how, how that happened, just after high school, right, more or less? Yeah, somehow something got mixed up in heaven, and I should have been born like 20 years earlier, because <laughs> I would have loved being like a teenager in the late 60s, but it didn't work out that way. So in the late 80s, I graduated high school in 91. I should have graduated in 90. But the Grateful Dead were still around and playing. And in high school, I grew dreadlocks and really fell in love with bands like Bob Marley and the Grateful Dead, Bob Dylan, um, a lot of stuff that was really like a generation before me. Mm -hmm. But my brother and friends, we would drive around to, to concerts and just really enjoyed that. After high school, I moved down to the beach and attempted to do a community college degree and uh, dropped out of that about halfway through to begin following the Grateful Dead around the country. Uh, And this would be in the early 90s. And kind of a funny story. My brother and me just in a car, two guitars, two surfboards, sheets of acid, marijuana, 
that was our plan. That was a business plan. That was a life plan. It's not a great plan. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, it was not a very hygienic plan, but it was, it was fun. And so we started doing that for, um, what became about a year. And then if I can kind of uh, lean into how I became a Christian, because it occurs in this context, you know, I grew up in North Carolina and was surrounded by what I was, what, what I would describe. I mean, this semi-charitably as cultural Christianity. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is there are churches everywhere. But a lot of my, a lot of my friends I had in high school were church going people who, you know, kind of went to church on Sunday and then partied with me on Saturday night and Sunday night. And I don't know, that just was not endearing uh, in my mind towards Christianity. Mm -hmm. And then frankly, you know, a lot of the things I could describe, you know, racism, chauvinism, whatever, I, I probably largely associated with church going people. And so that again, you know, kind of put like a bad taste in my mouth for some of these things. But, you know, I never had really considered Jesus apart from church. And I love the church now. I'll come back to that towards the end. Yeah. But, you know, for me, like Jesus was one thing, church was a whole different animal. And so um, at the end of this year, touring with Grateful Dead, or just following them around with my brother, I decided I couldn't take the this the smell of patchouli and hippies anymore. And what is kind patchouli? Of just done with it. Patchouli is like an oil that's a pretty strong scent and would be used by a lot of us uh, hippie you know wannabes uh, for covering up body odor. Mm. Oh, okay. <laughs> strong, strong, pungent. <laughs> odor that actually smells pretty good unless you like smoke so much of it you just want to run away screaming um so after a year of falling grateful dead i decided to go back to north carolina and uh, my older sister in california at that time was sort of experimenting with christianity and at a greyhound bus station offered me her bible which i didn't really have an interest in but i said okay you know i knew i was gonna be trapped on a bus for a week so she gave me her bible and for the first three days i sat on the back of the bus just playing guitar and then eventually my fingers tapped out and I pulled the Bible out and thought, well, you know, why not? I'd never actually read it. And I had this sort of stereotype of what I thought Christians were like, but I'd never really read the Bible and kind of took it at face value. So I opened up the table of contents and saw my little brother's name is Mark. And I was a little jealous because there was not a book named Eric, mm -hmm. but there was a book, uh, same name as my little brother. Mm -hmm. And so I started reading the gospel of Mark and it was really profound. Like I think some people get offended at being told that there are sinners for me I'd, i felt like i'd perfected the art of all of them in glowing array and it really pierced me and i had that sense of feeling undone unmasked and unsafe mm -hmm. and as much as i felt convicted by what i read i could also by god's grace i think make sense of the gospel that what i could not do for myself jesus had done for me that he had lived a perfect life i did not do that he died a sacrificial death and he rose from the grave and the gospel seemed pretty simple enough that if you believe that uh, you will be saved and i had that desire to be saved i think this is the work of god's spirit mm -hmm. in my heart enabling me to understand the things of god and granting me faith and repentance and you know i should mention too that like part of what really i can remember the sort of emotional effect of god being described as a father in the bible like a faithful father even the relationship between mm. God the Father and God the Son against the backdrop of my dad who had left our family. There was an emotional connection there to me. And I, I would say that, you know, from my point of view where I stood, I had not only mastered the art of sin in many ways, but I felt like I'd mastered the art of failed relationships. And many people in my life had disappointed me. And I'm sure I disappointed 
many other people as well. But all, all that the world has to offer uh, was a big letdown to me. You know, you could you could party as hard as you want on Saturday night, but Sunday morning still comes anyway. And just chasing after, you know, sex, drugs, whatever, all the materialism just left me sort of cold and lonely, you know, the next morning, so to speak. And so the gospel categories of relationship, not just a savior, but a father, really meant a lot for me. And the hardest thing I ever did, honestly, in this context was walk into a church. Hmm. But just sort of parenthetically, just to kind of wrap up the, the Grateful Dead, the Deadhead story, what made you, I think you did that for about a year with your brother following that group around, which as you said was more something that was popular in the 60s and 70s, but it continued for some time. What made you stop? You, you hadn't yet come to Christ. Part of the problem starting doing drugs at like age 12 is by the time you're 18, 19, 20, you know, what, what haven't you done? And you can only get so high. And then the next day they're you know, kind of like the the letdown and consequences. And then you kind of watch people, even as a non-Christian, like this is all that their life was, was just chasing a band and seeing how high they could get. And, you know, I'd watched a lot of my friends, I would say people I knew from like high school and just after high school that I would say kind of burned out hmm. early. Mm -hmm. And you could just for, sort of see like, you know, this isn't good. Or, you know, guys that did a lot of LSD and kind of went down the rabbit hole and never came back. You know, I can remember girl I dated in high school got killed coming home from a party in a different car that I could have just as easily been in and being shot at a couple of times in, you know, North Carolina and California, you know, sort of sobering things in that sense that, I mean, even my high school principal, the day I graduated um, in North Carolina, sat me down and said, if my life didn't change, I'd be dead or in jail within a year. Hmm. And I kind of felt the truthfulness of that. Like this was a train wreck waiting to happen and i literally dodged so many bullets already that even before reading the bible i was just kind of getting done not suicidal or overly depressed but just a little bit numbed and disenchanted with the grateful dead and that you know just that whole partying mm -hmm. lifestyle and all all that came with it well uh, going back to uh, you, you reading the bible your sister giving you the bible before you got on that bus the greyhound bus heading to north carolina to go back to college you as you just described, you uh, saw yourself in there. You saw that uh, you were in need of a Savior. You believe, of course, God's Spirit was working working in your heart, and you came to, to believe in Him. And at the same time, you told us just a couple minutes ago what kind of effort it took for you to actually walk into a church. Tell us about that first time, because uh, you, as you write about in your testimony here, and you mentioned also you're, you weren't exa overly enamored with uh, church-going people. <laughs> Yeah, it becomes a little bit of a comic irony. Like I, you know, I'm a pastor now. I wear a suit and tie when I preach. Sort, of, sort of funny. And probably surprises a lot of people. I have super long hair, <laughs> and probably don't look like your, you know, put together conservative uh, Christian or whatever. Um, but when I first went to church, I can just remember. If you've seen the movie Jesus Revolution, there's this scene where, you know, right at, kind of at the beginning when all this begins to take off, where like all the hippies are on one side. And all the people in suits and ties are on the other. And there's this kind of icy divide between them. In the church. Um, right, exactly. And so for me, going to church was much like that. Mm. Like I looked like those hippie kids. My friends were those hippie kids. I even brought right out of the gate. Uh, these, you know, pot smoking, mushroom eating, hippie kids to church. And was I, I think that things like evangelism and what would become um, 
sort of a pastoral leadership model that was in me before I even knew what those categories were. So like when I started going to church, I brought friends with me hmm. right away, but it was significant culture shock for them and for me. And, you know, it, it took a lot of bumps and I'm sure I made mistakes. I'm sure other people made mistakes, but that cultural divide was a big divide and it took a while to get across that. I think for me and for others, I ended up getting baptized more than one time, um, you know, sometimes being kind of soft prey uh, for the sort of, um, I want to say it gently, but you know, there's a model of preaching that says, if you're not sure about this, if you struggle with that, maybe you're not saved, maybe you need to get saved again, mm -hmm. maybe you need to walk the aisle again, pray the prayer again. I was a sucker for that repeated sort of altar call mentality um, where, you know, if you're plagued with doubt or struggles, then maybe you're not saved. Well, I mean, I doubted everything and struggled with many. And so it really took me a while to get not only comfortable with my own assurance of salvation, but a real sense of comfort with the people of God and the rhythms mm -hmm. of church life, the, you know, the things that ought to be a part of regular discipleship. And I, I you know, admittedly, I've even bounced around a couple different churches in the little part of town where I was in Eastern North Carolina before I fell into this little Bible church. And just a really, really remarkable set of people, including a man who I'm still very good friends with to this day, who I think rather bravely looking back at it could see, but if I take a step back, so when I came back to North Carolina, my only friends were old party friends. And so that's kind of where I moved back in and yet I'm starting to go to church. I'm taking some of these friends to church with me, but you know, there's still water bongs and, mm -hmm. you know, in the house and, you know, there's like a conflict here two worldviews kind of colliding yeah but I, I eventually fell in with this one church and kind of like a small group of people and one of the guys who was leading that actually invited me to come and live with him took a huge chance on a young man uh to come and live in his house he had kids you know he was only like 13 14 years older than me and began to disciple me and i think that was the first time bill that i ever really saw not just what a Christian man really looks like, but what like a really solid man looks like. And he modeled those things quite wonderfully. We'd get up in the morning before we each went to work and read the Bible together and pray everything that the church had, every men's study, every Bible study, anything I could be a part of. I was like a dry sponge and was at all those things. And that church just had a huge, huge influence uh, in my life and to this day, you know, lasting relationships there have been a real blessing to me. Well, I, I wanted to ask you, going back to that that uh, Greyhound bus ride where you came to Christ, you got on as a non-believer. A little bit reminds me of C.S. Lewis when he took that ride with his brother. He was in the sidecar, the motorcycle took the ride to the to the zoo, and as he began writing, he wasn't a believer, and at the end he realized he did believe. Of course, you had, you'd been reading the Bible. I don't know that he read the Bible uh, in that sidecar, but you became a believer on the bus, and then you kind of changed your destination, as I understand it. You stopped off instead to see your dad on the way. Is that right? It, yeah, great side story. So on the way back, as I become a Christian on the bus, I was just really struck with a sense that like I need to sort some things out with my dad. And so I, I made a little bit of a detour and went to he was up in um, Eden, North Carolina, and called him from a payphone and said, I'd like to see you. I think we need to talk. And so he graciously said, OK. And I get up there and told him I'd become a Christian and that if, you know, if Jesus could forgive me of all my sins, that I, I could forgive my dad. 
I didn't want to be kind of like a slave to those emotions anymore. Mm -hmm. And at least for my part, I, I wanted him to know that he had my forgiveness and he did not need to be beholden to the past either. And it was a really beautiful, humbling experience. It turned out in God's providence, my dad had become a Christian that year and had been praying for some way back to the family, so to speak. I mean, he was remarried. Um, my mom had moved on, but uh, but he was praying for a way back to the family. And so I have this really beautiful, beautiful, powerful memory of my dad coming to something like a family reunion on the other side of the state and watching this man who was a decorated Vietnam military vet, a man who'd killed people with his hands and knives and guns. I mean, just like Rambo, get down on his knees and through tears, ask for my family's forgiveness and then sing a Christian song called Watch the Lamb, beautiful song, which I think was his way of saying, take your eyes off me and put your eyes on Christ. And how did your family react to that? Um, in different ways. I think even, you know, as time would go on, I would continue to say in different ways. Uh, some of us, I would say, like, have really done a great job in reconciling with my dad and moving on and kind of letting the past go. And for others, it's been a lot harder, which I totally understand. I don't say that critically. It's a big deal when a guy leaves a family with four kids, two teenagers, two about to be teenagers. There's a lot of deep scars that are there. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, some of the processing probably has to do with those of us that have become Christians and really grown in their Christianity, so to speak, that I'm sure that has helped kind of uh, heal things and move on. My mom uh, since became a Christian and is a member of the church that I pastor. And so it's been wonderful to see just the, the resurrecting work of healing and restoration that God's grace has done in our family. And, and there's obviously many uh, different avenues that we could go down, but one, it certainly seems that the power of just reading the Bible, uh, just reading God's Word, is part of your story. Uh, I mean, you didn't have anybody to explain it to you. You simply opened it and read it when you were on that bus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and apparently that can include reading as well. No, you returned to, to college. Uh, you did return to college, and then you, but but not just to college. You continued. You were in uh, school uh, for a long time. Uh, tell us about that, and then how how God led you to do what you're doing now. Yeah, God has a sense of humor. I have I have no doubt. I failed my senior year of high school and graduated. I'm pretty sure without reading a single book. <laughs> um, but just, it's kind of worthless. Uh, not dumb, but no discipline whatsoever, and probably just smart enough to wing it and get by. Yeah, so I went back and I finished a little um, two year degree uh, at a community college in North Carolina, and would end up spending a total of 18 years in college working on um, five degrees total. So an AA a BS in biblical studies, a master of divinity, a second master's in church history. And then I went to the Netherlands and did a PhD on the intersection between Christianity and postmodernism, mm -hmm. uh, looking particularly at Old Testament narratives and identity theory and just the, the use of story, both in Christianity and secular postmodern literature. And that was a blast. And I've, by God's grace, been a pastor now for 22 years mm -hmm. and planted two churches in our denomination and had the privilege of teaching at a handful of seminaries and loved doing evangelism on street corners in the ocean with surfers and loved talking about it in the classroom and training people to do it as well. 
Well, how has God used, and obviously he's using it right now, but your, your background, your, your, your painful story, a lot of the missteps and all that you've explained to us in, in, in your life, in your family's life, and uh, your church. Uh, I mean, for a lot of people, they might, some people might think, well, that's, I, I want to forget about that. that was, those were mistakes, but, but you're, you're saying no. Uh, there's something very redemptive about, about this part of your life and sharing it with others. Yeah, I, there, there are a lot of things to say there. I mean, God has been very, very gracious to me. You know, I'm the most unlikely unlikely candidate, not just for the kingdom of God, but to be in ministry for sure. Like, even when I tell my story, I almost sit there in sort of disbelief. Like, that's a pretty crazy story. <laughs> but like, you know, in, in Exodus 18, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, uh, a Midianite priest, straight up pagan, makes what looks like a fairly straight up profession of faith worships God and then enjoys communion with the elders of Israel. And I, I think the point there, Bill, is that there's nobody that God can't save. Nobody is beyond the reach of God. Every bearer of the image of God can be saved by the Spirit of God um, if God is pleased to work in their hearts. And so that gives me a lot of optimism, kind of evangelistic hard-headedness that, you know, when I see homeless people or people that don't look like me or vote like me or spend their money like me or recreate like me, like there's nobody that God can't save. And knowing that really, I think, can help widen my heart, maybe other people's hearts to want to reach across the aisle. And there's also, there's nobody that God can't use. I mean, I have mastered the art of failing in so many different ways. And yet, by the grace of God, you know, there are some things that have gone well. Um, my wife and I have four adopted kids, two with special needs of different kinds, hmm. each with very unique stories. And I mean, to me, there's like nothing better in the whole world than being a dad. So, like if evangelism is really important to me, you know, maybe like right on the heels of it or right beside of it, it's just the importance of being a good and faithful dad in a world that's lost its mind, lost its ability to define the most simple things where men are hard to find you know godly christian men are hard to find you know for me just being a good husband and being a good father like that's my mission in many ways i'm not trying to make the news i'm trying to stay out of the news <laughs> well put well your testimony is god's grace on a greyhound bus people can read it at christianitytoday.com dr eric watkins is my guest pastor of harvest orthodox presbyterian church maybe you've already told us this in other words uh, pastor watkins what is your hope for the the person that's listening to this or the person that reads uh, your testimony i think there are a lot of people that one find, struggle to find enough hope for themselves in their own lives and if they can take some encouragement that if God can save and use someone like me, he can work through in and through anyone. And that secondly, you know, I mean, that that wide heart for those that God is yet going to save and adopt into the kingdom of God. You know, I'm a, I'm a minister in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and, you know, I think Reformed theology beautifully enhances and invigorates a hearty zeal for evangelism. And I could wish that more people would catch that zeal and be pumped out about up about it. I should also mention I have a side job, which is I direct the Center for Missions and Evangelism for Mid America Reform Seminary in Indiana. And I think there are a lot of people, a lot of churches that would love to see more people reach for Christ um, as the world changes and the nations more and more have moved into our backyards. It's a 
challenging time for the church. It's a wonderful time for the church. And I love to encourage pastors, like, don't be discouraged. God is still doing a great work. And uh, he's revitalizing churches as well as saving people into the kingdom. And we should have just a large and beautiful view of the Holy Spirit and the work that the Spirit is still doing, not just in the church, but uh, through the church in the world. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Eric Watkins, pastor of Harvest Orthodox Presbyterian Church in San Marcos, California, and author of the Christianity Today testimony piece, I Was a Disenchanted Deadhead Who Found Christ on a Greyhound Bus. You can read it at ChristianityToday.com. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Christine Chapel on walking with God through the trial of depression in motherhood. God is not surprised when we reach the end of ourselves and we're wrestling with pain and confusion and doubt and despair and hopelessness. Um, And time and time again, He meets us in merciful, unique, uh, individual ways uh, that we need most in that particular moment of distress. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.